BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Geek Vibes Live is rated G for Geek. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Geek Vibes Live Review. I'm your host, Tia, and today we are going over the second season of Netflix's You, where everyone's favorite stalker has made the move from the cynical New York City to the overly positive L.A. Joe is now Will, and even though he's promised to shut the door on love, love will always find a way. And with me today, I have my special co-host, Kelly Kantrowitz. Kelly, how utterly cheesy was that interview right now? I mean, that interview, that (laughs) intro right now. (laughs) Utterly cheesy. But thank you for having me on the show today. I'm really excited to delve into season two of You, because there is a lot to cover. Absolutely. We actually broke down the first season of You together, and so it's only right that we do it again for the second season. Before we really go headfirst into everything that season two had to offer, I wanted to know, Kelly, your you know overall thoughts of the season, and how did it compare to season one for you? Well, I did write an article on Geek Vibes um, of my review of the show. So if anyone wants an in-depth look at that, please check out the website. Um, I am teetering back and forth between season one and season two. People seem to be really divided and like either love season two over season one or they're like, season one is my jam and that's it. Um, I did give, for my personal rating, the show a 4.5 out of 5. I think they did a good job transitioning the storyline and keeping it fresh. Um, So I binge-watched it just as quickly as I did as season one. See, first of all, I have to say, I love the plug. Yes, everyone, please visit our website, geekvibesnation.com. And check out Kelly's awesome review of You Season 2. I have to say that you gave the season a much higher rating than I would have. Not because I, say, disliked Season 2, but I think when comparing it to Season 1, which I couldn't help myself from doing the whole entire time, I just felt that the second season fell flat. 
Um, obviously, Penn Bagley returns as Joe, um, which we're going to call him Joe for the sake of this podcast. I'm not going to call him Will, but he obviously takes the I alias him Joe of in Will. I article the whole time, too. So. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> there was one time I, I was like, like, Joe slash Will, and then I was like, you know what, I'm just calling him Joe. It would get too confusing for me, but yeah, so Joe, obviously, after the events of season one, decides that he needs a fresh start, and he moves out to LA, which I feel like someone like him, even though he was picking apart everything in New York, he especially is like a fish out of water when it comes to LA, it's just so overly positive, and he's just so messed up that I was like, you stick out like a sore thumb, at least to me, but it's so crazy because you and I actually talked about this, I believe, before the second season came out that we had thought that Joe, that name itself, was an alias. But we pretty much find out through flashbacks that, no, that's his name. So he takes on the name of Will. And first of all, I have to address, to me, what was one of the biggest plot holes is, how the hell did he get that glass cage from New York to L.A.? What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I just assumed he built another one. <laughs> At this point, you have to assume that because it would be, for someone who's trying to start over, it would be a little suspicious for him to travel with the materials that it would take to make that again. Um, but yeah, that's a really so Joe good Com- point, though. I didn't even question it. I was like, oh, there it is. <laughs> like, you just expect him to have it. You just expect him to capture people and keep them in glass cages because that's just the guy that he is. I mean, I didn't expect for a second that he had changed, and we see at the end of the first episode that he purposely got his apartment so that he could stalk love, which. I have to give props to the people behind this show. They come up with the craziest names. In season one, we had Beck, Peach. Now we have Love, Forty, um, which I think is a tennis thingy. So, okay, the, their parents really love tennis. But um, tell me, what are your thoughts on the siblings, Forty and Love? Because they were heavily featured in this season. Um, so in the beginning, they seemed really close, but close, and by close, I mean it was more in the sense that Love felt overly responsible for Forty, um, and she was continuously taking care of him. But we discover throughout the show there's this chilling undercurrent that just basically changed their whole dynamic. So you know, even though 40 represented, you know, the typical Los Angeles douchebag, uh, he was infatuated with green juices, he wanted to write his Hollywood screenplays, you know, they really played up on that stereotype. But we have to give him credit, because he did figure it out. Eventually, Um, you know, it was with the help of Candace, uh, who was played by Amy Adam, um, that Joe was actually the one responsible for Beck's murder. Um, and that Dr. Nikki was innocent and incarcerated for the wrong reasons. Um, you know, Forty confronted Joe, and, um, you know, he wanted to kill him at that point. But what he didn't factor into the equation is that his own sister, who he probably thought was 
there for him through thick and thin um, was just as cold-blooded and a murderer as Joe. Um, you know, and the one who killed his abusive au pair all those years ago. So I think their dynamic started in one place and then slowly digressed to where they were just on totally opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, I personally went back and forth with the siblings. Um, I don't have siblings, so I can't attest to this, but I did feel at times that they were perhaps just a little too close. I certainly didn't think that anything nefarious was going on. I just think that I saw it as I understand being there for your loved ones and your family, but there was at some point where Joe and Love were planning on taking a trip to Paris or something. We're starting new lives, and she was saying, but we have to bring 40 with us. And you know, you, you kind of have to give it to Joe a little that that would, for even the most mentally stable person, be a little bit of a drag. But I found myself liking Forty more as the season went on, um, even though he was, as you said, the stereotypical Los Angeles douchebag. I mean, he needed his matcha at all times, but <laughs> hey, he... I like he, matcha. <laughs> After you and I spoke that day, I did go and buy myself some matcha as well. So we're all matcha-drinking mother effers here. But, you know, Forty was able to piece things together about Joe. And that comes from a very realistic place of him just wanting to be a protective brother. And my whole thing is that so we find out that – and I guess I should have said at the beginning of the show, spoilers – but you probably, if you're listening, you probably have already heard a bunch of spoilers at this point. So spoilers, um, you find out that Love ended up killing 40s au pair who was sexually abusing him, which is horrific. And then he, you as the audience member think that 40 uh, killed her. No, then you find out that Love killed her, but they all made it seem like it was 40. And I thought to myself, well, no wonder this guy has had messed up, uh, a messed up life and has turned to drugs and shit like that. I mean, you let him think his whole life that he was a murderer. Um, so that kind of didn't sit too well with me. But I have to tell you, Kelly, that I went back and started watching you season two again Uh, just to kind of get into the mindset for this podcast. And I realized that the signs of love's whole reveal have been there kind of all along. I don't know if you went back and started rewatching, but would you say that there have always been signs or was that really just out of left field? I think there was always signs. And one of my favorite things personally to do is watch season like again and again and some people are like you know what's going to happen how can you watch that but I just love seeing the little like easter eggs and clues that you didn't pick up on you can look more at you know the atmosphere and like the actual lines that they're saying and you can really delve deeper into the show because you're not just watching it from a a viewership I want to know what happens next 
point, you can really watch it from a different perspective. So I love going back and watching again. I always see things that I didn't see the first time. Me too. I'm I'm one of those people. I'll continue watching and watching and watching. Um, I think last night I turned on Narcos Mexico, which is probably the sixth time I've gone through the show. So yeah, I completely get it. But I, I going back as you said, there are definitely signs that Love had the potential to be kind of a psychopath. And I had this subject kind of as one of the throwaways that maybe we'll get to it if we have time, but because we're kind of talking about love in this moment, which, again, very freaking confusing that her name is love. It bothers me so much. I'm like, that's so fake. Like, can I call you Julie or something? But that's just me. But <laughs> so we find out we find out that love was married prior to Joe, and again, Maybe I am just coming at this at a completely different angle, but, you know, love is in her 20s. She's already been married. She wanted a kid at, like, after a year of marriage. She was moving insanely fast with Joe, even from the get-go. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Slow down a little. But anyway, so she was married prior. You find out that the husband um, had passed away. Now, they never went into it, but I saw people online kind of bring this up, and I don't think it would be too far-fetched. The husband didn't want children right away um, as fast as love did. So would you kind of say that it isn't outside of love's abilities to have maybe poisoned her her, uh, deceased husband? Yeah, so um, I actually got that vibe just from watching the show. So her explanation to Joe was James became sick and passed away. There was never really an explanation to how, why, what was wrong. And I also feel like the flashbacks had to have served some kind of purpose because when we see James tell Love that he doesn't want to have children with her, I feel like that's a strong indicator um, because just months later, he begins suffering from this fatal illness. So it's super sketchy and it's never really clear how exactly James died. What we do know is love is a stalker and a killer. So it's definitely possible. I thought my little like theory was she always has these, baked treats she was leaving them for joe in his locker and who knows she could have easily put poison to the meals and given all her baked treats a little uh additive for her husband um as punishment for not wanting kids i i truly don't see it as outside of something love would do i can't remember now what necessarily killed james i'm thinking maybe cancer and not that it's you know far-fetched for someone that young to get cancer but you don't typically see that in someone that young so it is a little jarring that he passed away and it seems so soon after love had been pretty much uh you know obsessing with having a child and that's something we what we have taken away from season two is that love gets what she wants. 
Um, and we see that at the end of the show, which I know we're skipping ahead, but we're on the subject of love, so we should pretty much stay within this. So at the end of the show, um, she reveals her whole messed upness to Joe, and in an effort to get him to not kill her, she says that she's pregnant. Now, I immediately was like, this is a lie, this is a farce, but she was. She was pregnant at the end, um, and they uh, seemingly are going to have a little happily ever after, um, you know, moment there. And before we get to the very, very end of the show, what were your thoughts um, seeing that she was actually pregnant there? I mean, in a way, isn't it a little messed up that Joe seemingly never really gets what he deserves for the type of person that he is? Right. And I think we should delve into that, but separately to touch on love um, and the pregnancy. I mean, she's genuinely a disturbed individual um, and she has a lot going on beneath the surface. So when there was the pregnancy reveal, all I can think was this was her stalkerish way to reel in Joe and keep him under her chains and her reins. So I'm not surprised. I I think she always wanted a baby to begin with, and I think that's why she offed her husband. Um, you know, but I think it, it's also a way for her to control and manipulate Joe and keep him, you know, in her world and not lose him. She's She's very strategic like that because we see briefly she ends up sleeping with this other guy who was James's best friend, and she explains to Joe that she used a condom with him every time, meaning obviously she didn't use a condom with Joe. So in her head, even though she's sleeping with another man, even though she broke things off with Joe, she's still strategic there thinking if a kid is going to happen, it's going to be Joe's. Right, right. I agree with you. Yeah, which to me was just crazy, Um, the whole thing with love and her whole storyline, which I guess is a way to kind of freshen things up with you. We see Joe becoming obsessed with love, uh, very similar to the way that he was obsessed with Beck, but instead of killing Love the way that he killed Beck, um, because obviously this took Beck, you know, back that there's this crazy stalker in her life, Love wanted to completely uh, see his crazy and match it, essentially. Um, But Love wasn't the only woman in Joe's life who was very wise to how insane he was, and that was Candace who we have thought in the first season was dead, we find out that no, um, she's alive, and she is vowing revenge on Joe. And that was how season one left off. And that's how you essentially felt that season two was going to be, based on the first episode of season two. But to me, I felt that the Candace storyline never truly felt fulfilled, and I don't think that it really paid off. And that could just be me, but how do you feel about the Candace storyline? I have two points of view because they're two separate topics, but just to 
talk to Candace's storyline. First of all, I think she was necessary to the show. I mean, her threats of revenge were ultimately the means to drive Joe to the one place on earth he despises the most, where he thinks he's not going to be found. Um, I think the storyline does feel like it fell short because we're hearing and seeing the story through Joe's perspective, and he paints her as this crazy ex-girlfriend, making her the quote-unquote villain. But in reality, it's, it's Candace who is the, you know, actual person who was victimized and traumatized by a man who tried to kill her. So I'm weirdly trapped between seeing her as this unsung hero figure of the story and then questioning why she took the route that she did instead of calling the authorities or trying to get evidence to turn over on Joe and, you know, get him convicted of a crime Um, or just plain staying out of his life um, and getting the help that she needed. Um, You know, we all know revenge doesn't cure pain and it, it seems incredibly unfair how her storyline ended um but i think the reason it really feels like her storyline fell short is because the show is told from joe's perspective and he didn't give her the face time that we as an audience feel like she deserved that's a really good point that i did not actually think of until you brought it up that you is told in Joe's perspective. So from Joe's perspective, she is the crazy um, stalker ex-girlfriend who is looking to make his life hell. And even though we've seen what Joe is capable of, we know that he has killed, he is obsessed, he is manipulated, um, and he tried to do that with Candace. He literally buried her alive. But for some reason, that never felt um, – it never felt like really you wanted to be on Candace's side, but that was because of how she was painted in Joe's story. And I believe also what, to me, kind of made me feel that same way was because not only was she trying to get back at Joe, but then she's now injected into 40 and Love's life. and while. Candace says that she's there to protect them um, in your mind, or at least how you're presented, she looks as if she's just coming in trying to not only break up this happy siblings, but also be a bit of a manipulator in 40's life when 40 is so fragile himself. So you see someone like 40, he doesn't need someone who's lying to him and really just using him the way that it seems like he's always been used. And I I think that was um, a storyline choice that the writers, you know, did that to me kind of sullied Candace's image in my head. But that's personally how I felt about it. But you're right, Candace's end was super messed up. I mean, I had high hopes for Candace's storyline when you saw that she was the girl that Forty had just met. And then she gets freaking shanked in the neck by uh, love with a broken bottle. But that was, I mean, it was crazy. Um, I certainly didn't expect that. And we saw that Joe certainly didn't expect that. I mean, 
it's hilarious because you would think that someone like Love would be perfect for Joe, that he would celebrate having someone like Love in his life. But we heard him. He was like, what the fuck? Um, which goes to show that Joe always needs a woman on a pedestal. He never needs someone who's real. And in that instant, love became real to him. Right. And we, I feel like we don't know how Joe is going to react in this situation. It's probably something they'll delve into in the next season. Um, you know, we've only seen him on the side of having control Sure, he lost a little control when Candace came back, but he still always felt in his mind that he was the one on top and he was the one who had the control. Um, so I think when Love came and made some pretty <laughs> drastic decisions, uh, to say the least, it took away some of that control for him, and I don't think he's ever really experienced that. And I, uh, you know, besides back in the day in the library, but um, I think it'll be interesting to see, get in his head again in the next season and see how he really takes that because we didn't get, we didn't get enough time to really see what he thought of everything that went down. No, we certainly didn't. Um, We got a lot of the same in season two while also uh, getting a lot of different aspects in it, like as we've been talking about with the twist of Love's character. Um, And another thing that we had similar, um, just kind of to move us away from Love for a moment, but in the first season we see that Joe has a neighbor. It's uh, this young kid who obviously has a very terrible home life, and he feels very sympathetic for that. And it's a very, um, like, honest and earnest type of, uh, you know, image for Joe that, you know, is completely opposite to what we see all the time. But in the second season, we got something similar with, um, oh gosh, her name was Ellie, right? Yes, I believe so. (laughs) Uh, We get get this young girl, Ellie, um, who's 15 and lives in the apartment complex that Joe lives in. She's actually the sister of Delilah, who is the landlord, and we'll get into her uh, in just a second. But Joe automatically feels like he needs to help parent Ellie. Um, And I felt like that scene, uh, again, at the end with Ellie, where he's essentially trying to get her to safety, was very real. And it's a very conflicting thing to have Joe be such a stalker killer, um, but then also have this really, like, real side to him. Um, Did you think that with that, storyline in season two plus the flashbacks that we saw of joe that like pretty much what are the writers trying to get us to feel about joe to me it feels very conflicting i think it's something that a lot of shows and movies have done lately um off the top of my head, of course, I can't think of anything. Uh, 13 Reasons Why, I know they did this. Um, I can't think of any other examples. But um, the play on 
sympathizing for the bad guy. Um, and I think, and it's funny because Penn Badgley keeps coming out and saying, stop being on Joe's side. He's not a good person. But I think because we're in his head, we saw some of the things he went through as a child. We, we make excuses in our heads and, and almost sympathize with this character in a way. And, um, I think that's intentional. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of shows have been doing that lately. And I have to say like Penn Badgley is hilarious because he is definitely an actor who takes responsibility like seriously because he could just do acting and pretty much leave it as, you know, this is a role that I have and it's how it's written. I'm doing what they tell me to do, you know, and he doesn't glorify it. And he specifically like feels as if it's kind of his uh, responsibility to make sure that people remember like, Hey, Joe's a bad guy. You should not um, root for him or cheer for him at all. Um, so I just wanted to mention that that's great, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're coming from him and his side with everything. And I think that it was just interesting seeing really what made Joe more of himself. Um, I mean, we, we got a lot of that this season. We had the flashbacks, the scenes with Ellie and him, letting Will go. I mean, please tell me, Kelly, that you weren't the only one that thought that when he opened up the freaking door to that glass uh, box that he wasn't just going to kill Will as soon as he stepped foot outside of it. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I I couldn't believe it. I was watching the show with Paulie, and I'm like, they have to revisit this and that Will's actually dead. Like, when this, the camera cut away he just ended up killing Will. And it's like, nope, Will was able to go and be with the love of his life. And it was just completely strange, which is why I thought that there was a chance that Delilah could live. I mean, I really did think that Joe sincerely wanted Delilah to live and wanted to let Delilah go. Did you feel that? as well or do you think that eventually Joe would have had to make the decision to kill Delilah I I don't know I mean I this season was funny because Joe seemed to be trying to make the right decisions but force of habit he kept following into the same routine and the same patterns I think he would have liked to think that he would have let her go um, but I don't think he could have done it ultimately in the end. I mean, that would be a loose end running out there that he couldn't control. And, and again, I think he needs control in his life. Yeah, that is that is very true. Um, I mean, personally, I, I guess uh, Joe's manipulation got to me a little because I really sat there and I was like, he is uh, – he's going to let Delilah go. This is going to happen. They're going to do it again. He's going to let her go. Um, and then ultimately when we see that she had been killed, which was like, whew, and you really thought Joe did it. You thought that he just completely forgot doing it because he was on freaking acid with 40. 
but instead it was Love who ended up killing Delilah, which I guess it wouldn't have made sense to let Delilah go. She knew way too much, and I don't think she would have been like Will and just let it go. I think that she would have reported it or put it out in a newspaper or something like that. Um, but I, I hated it. <laughs> I, I hated the fact that Delilah uh, died because she really grew on me. Originally, I don't think I was the biggest fan of her character. And um, I think a huge reason why I wasn't a big fan of her character, and this can move us into the next um, topic, was because her story was so ingrained with the whole Henderson story, which was an obvious attempt for the show to incorporate a Me Too type of subject. But I thought that the Henderson story fell flat, especially like to me that fell more flat than the Candace story. I didn't see really what the need was for him to be in the story other than showing that again Joe has some sort of morals to him but yeah so I I didn't necessarily like Henderson I thought it was kind of useless but what did you think about the Henderson storyline I think um so personally I think the show had just a blatant disregard for its female characters and completely misstepped the entire me too inspired subplot um i think so it ties into the show's attempts to make you root for joe because we're in his his mindset but it takes away from the true message of if that's the storyline that they they really wanted to bring out i think when a show is going to tackle you know trauma and issues like relationship abuse um it has a certain responsibility to viewers to not belittle um, those experiences because there are people in the real world who have faced those horrors and to watch a show where it was just poo-pooed and chewed to the side. um, I think it it really um, just was a blatant disregard for, uh, you know, the audience and the female characters alike. Yeah, and to me, because it, I guess, was so told in Joe's perspective, you know, Delilah ends up looking like just, and I'm just going to use this word, a bitch, you know? She ends up looking like a bitch. Candace ends up looking like the crazy stalker. Um, And Henderson never is really regarded as a scumbag that he is by anyone because he dies and 40 is torn up about, you know, that was his boy. Um, And then people online are like, oh, it's so terrible. Henderson is dead. And what Henderson did never really came to light. It would be, you know, something else if they had decided to then tarnish his public reputation even after he died. But really you know, Henderson ended up dying and for everyone else being regarded as a cool guy, which I guess maybe they were trying to make a statement with that saying that that is Hollywood. Um, Even if there are say murmurs and rumors of things like that going on, the public perspective is, you know, they want to hold on to the fact that he was just a funny comedian. I'm not sure about that, but as you said, it's, 
kind of a disregard and a disrespect to the female uh, narrative in you. Um, and I feel that anyone who went through something like that would watch the show and think they're kind of not really, there's no real consequences for any of the men in the show who are being, you know, this way towards women. Yep, I totally agree with you. Um, it was definitely <laughs> one of those subplots that just pissed me off throughout the whole show. Um, you know, but, but, and I know I've said this like a thousand times, so everyone, you can smack me, but like, I really think it's because we were watching it from Joe's perspective and he doesn't look at those things the same way that us as an audience does. And I don't think that's right. And again, I think that they should have better told those stories and experiences to pay homage to the people who are victims to those things. But I think it is the central character storyline that really just derails that whole subplot. Yeah. And I completely agree with that. I think, and unfortunately, and we can talk now about, say the conclusion of the U season two based on what we saw, which was, um, you know, Joe having essentially the white picket fence with love. She's pregnant at this point, And you think, you know, he's, he's going to do it, you know, despite um, him now not seeing love in this positive light, the way that he did throughout the season, he, again, has that weird, like, morality when it comes to kids. Um, and so she's pregnant. He's going to be a father. So he's going to stick with love, even though he tried to kill her. Um, and you think that's going to be Joe, right? And then, of course, he is who he is um, and is obviously stalking their their neighbor. Um, he can see her through the fence, and he's like, yep, this this all brought me to you. And so it seems like we're going to be getting a lot of the same in season three. So I wanted to ask you, Kelly, um, where do you think that season three can even go? Um, you know, I'm not really sure. I feel like, you know, it's one of those shows where you want a season three, but does it warrant a season three? I know that there's a lot of unanswered questions what about the pregnancy it's sure to be another wild ride I just think they're gonna have to really approach it strategically um, and bring something fresh and new so it doesn't feel like okay we're going through this again and again like it needs to feel different yeah because when season two ended I thought to myself you know what I wouldn't, and this isn't because, say, I wasn't the biggest fan of season two. I generally thought that this is a way that you can conclude this series. You're leaving it um, tied up enough because you see, obviously, he has his life with love, um, but then also open-ended enough that you can pretty much connect the dots that he's going to stalk this woman and yada yada, but and I, I should say for anyone who's listening, a third season is not confirmed yet. 
Uh, Netflix did not renew uh, you just yet for a season three, but um, I believe that the showrunner is pretty confident that they're going to get a season three, and she's already started to think about things that she can do, um, because I believe that the showrunner is a woman, um, but she's already thinking about things that she can do in season three. But I would say that if there is a season three, um, I definitely want to see the inclusion of social media stalking as much because that's something that I truly missed in season two. I liked that aspect in season one. You and I, when we did this review for season one, we were talking about how uh, you really, say, weaponized, like, social media, like, that's what Joe is doing, and I truly enjoyed that. I I felt like it was missing in season two. Did you? It definitely was. There was a different dynamic. So the first season, you know, there was a very clear and bleak commentary on social media and um, dating apps, which almost normalize and enable that that stalking aspect that you can find anything online and and the young adult addiction and mental health issues that tie into that. Um, But I feel like with season two, it took like a little bit more of an adult approach. Um, So less social media obsessed, but there was still some of that social media uh, presence when they were referencing the self-involvement of the stereotypical LA person and they're showing the social media influencers and the self-invention and, and people taking selfies. So, I mean, they did touch on it. I just think they, um, it wasn't the, the main aspect in this. And I, Part of me missed it, but part of me thinks that if they took that route again, it would be too similar to season one. Like, we need to see how else can Joe get what he wants, or how else does Joe pull off these things, you know, without just going to the internet. So I think it just showed a different side of what he's able to do, even without um, all of those you know, um, what do you call it, tools at his fingertips. Yeah, and and I completely agree with that. As you said, we did see a little bit of that in the first episode where he's walking down the sidewalk and and you see a bunch of people, like, FaceTiming or, you know, recording videos for their followers. And he did purposely try to give himself a social media presence so that he could even stalk love, but... As we saw, he took his game to the next level um, in season one. He couldn't just park himself uh, in an apartment, you know, across the street from Beck, but he did so with love. Um, So he was able to still be a creepy stalker, just not in the way that we saw in season one. Um, I I mean, I I do have to point this out really quick. I don't know why it just came to my head. I want to say that one of the things that I kind of liked better in season two is that I liked Love's group of friends so much more than Beck's group of friends. Um, But if I remember correctly, we were talking a little about how season two didn't have a supporting character um, like Shay Mitchell uh, playing Peach. Um, And you felt that that 
was something like an aspect that was missing from season two. Yeah, I definitely feel like that was missing. Um, absolutely loved friend group. Um, very different dynamic from um, uh, Beck's New York friend group who were all kind of just self-obsessed and or obsessed with Beck. Um, but I think like, uh, what was her name? Peach. I keep calling her Shay Mitchell. Uh, Peach's storyline in the first season was so strong and such a great subplot and aspect to the show and we didn't really have that great supporting character I think they tried to do that with 40 but I don't feel like it came across with the same um that it did with Peach yeah um and I completely agree with that I think that that attests to uh Shay Mitchell and her acting not to say that the actor who played 40 wasn't good which i don't know his name's James Sully or something. I should have probably did better research before this, but I mean, I loved the character Forty. I was super upset when he died, but and as obsessed as he was with his sister, he did not have the same dynamic that Peach did. But I think, and you know, I guess this is something that Love was kind of right with. Um, Beck was not a strong person. Love was certainly um, stronger. I guess, or maybe that's not the right word, but uh, we even talked about in the first review how mediocre Peck actually freaking was. Um, But Love's friends legitimately loved her, uh, as opposed to Beck's friends who were all just looking there to manipulate her. But who knows if in season three we're going to get that same sort of dynamic with a friend group or something like that. I mean, to me, as I said before, I would like to see more inclusion in the social media in season three. And I don't know why I really want Will to come back. I kind of want Will and like roll with me here. Um, I kind of want Will to have maybe a change of heart and maybe he's realizing that Joe is really legitimately crazy and things need to come to the surface. And what if, like, say he comes back and freaking, like, exposes all of Joe's shit? Tell me if that is completely far-fetched. I mean, nothing's far-fetched with this show. Um, but I just, I personally don't know how Joe hasn't been, uh, his character hasn't been revealed. I feel like so many people had the opportunity and they took different routes and they didn't do what they should have done earlier to catch him before horrific acts were performed. I mean, the show makes it seem like it's so easy just to completely change your identity and evade the cops. I mean, I'm taking that away from it too. But I think that if you have something like Will or even if Dr. Nikki finally decides to come out and say something, although they really squash that with him essentially being a born-again Christian or something like that, and he's going to be in jail now, and he's accepting the fact that he deserves to be in jail for sleeping uh, with Beck. Um, But I don't know. It's going to be interesting the third season if it, even gets a third season. I am now 
interested in having one just to really conclude. But if if it's going to have a third one, I would like the third one to be the last one. I don't really think that we can continue having this show because it's going to run its course and it's going to become a little uh, repetitive. So if it has a third season, that's it. I just want it to kind of end on a third season. But um, I agree. Kelly, I think they should end on a high note um, and not try to stretch it beyond its means. Yeah, exactly. It would just be, okay, he's going to find a new girl every single season. We're going to go through this whole shebang every single time. I mean, unless, the coolest thing, okay, this is the thing, how they should end the series. I'm going to just say this really quick. Joe either dies or goes to jail, right? And then we just right. see love. And then we just see love looking at another guy and she's like, Hey you and she's now like the person who's gonna be the crazy stalker every single time with new guys. I kinda yeah. want that but we don't Yeah. We don't need to see it. Like they don't need to continue, but that's how they end the series. Us just knowing that love's gonna become the new Joe. Yeah. Yeah, or something like that. I agree with you. That would be an interesting spin on the whole thing. I mean, Joe's gotta go down at some point. Um, I'm going to accept my paycheck now from Netflix. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think personally we did a pretty good job uh, dissecting season two. Was there anything, Kelly, that you wanted to talk about um, that we didn't go over? Um, no, I actually think we hit on all the topics we've already talked about on our own and now we're sharing with everyone else um so yeah i think i think we we covered it yeah absolutely i mean it was pretty much a wild ride uh to get to see all of this and that it was in a new state i'm pretty sure that if they come out with a third one it's going to stay in la but who knows he joe could be a stalker in alaska that's just the kind of guy that he is but <laughs> hey um, some cute baby polar bears in there and you've got me one over <laughs> all they need to do is find some way to include baby yoda in that and it's like the perfect oh God, show yes. we're so digressing but um baby yoda can be in any show and it's going to be a favorite in my book really quick um i don't know if you know this kelly but for anyone who else who doesn't know about it us at a uh, geek vibes nation uh we've been doing oh of course you know kelly you pretty much had like an upper hand in helping us with those uh, ignore me you know our awards and everything yep. that we've been doing um and just by I like put together the be- list. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm like, you had such an upper hand, like, putting this together. What am I saying? Um, but as you know, I Marty just put Baby Yoda down as, like, the rising star just for, I think, shits and giggles. But he, I'm pretty sure Baby Yoda is going to win out because he's gotten the most votes out of, like, anyone. And I'm like, you know what? It was Baby Yoda's year, and Baby Yoda deserves it. Um <laughs> It's true. He, so, took, uh, he took the spotlight away from the Mandalorian. Yeah, it's it's not the Mandalorian. It's uh, Baby Yoda. My my one thing is that I'm like, in the voting, I'm like, yes, Baby Yoda also deserves it. But um, 
Anya Chalotra, who played Yennefer on The Witcher, also deserves it as well. And I'm like, we're pretty much going to give it to a puppet, but that's neither here nor there. Baby Yoda's the best. But anyway, this is this is a You Season 2 review. Um, I've had a shit ton of fun, Kelly, dissecting this show with you. I'm glad that I even watched the second season. I'm glad that uh, you and uh, I think Steve kind of got me into the show in the first place because uh, Penn Badgley is fantastic in this role. And I I am interested in seeing what they do next. But um, Kelly, before I wrap up and let you go, is there anything that you'd like to promote for those who are listening? Um, And again, anyone who's listening, please make sure that you read our season two review done by Kelly Kantrowitz. And um, I don't have anything to plug. I would just say um, I love connecting with people who love TV, movies, writing, um, any of the creatives out there. So if you want to hook up with me on Twitter, my handle is at Cantro, so K-K-A-N-T-R-O, and I'd be happy to chat. Awesome, awesome. And um, just now that we're touching upon the whole awards um, at Geek Vibes, make sure that you tune in later on this week. I believe Thursday we're going to do a podcast revealing all of the winners, so that's going to be a whole lot of fun. Make sure you follow us on Twitter Geek Vibes Nation, and make sure you check my Twitter out, um, Tia Fabi. We do the top 10, we do review podcasts, we do it all. So make sure you stop by and say hi and tell us what but you thought say of hi you. To Kelly's you Twitter before Tia's. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> She's doing that just because I forgot that she pretty much created the award show. My bad. My bad. <laughs> Okay, I'll, I'll let it slide this time. Good, good. Um, thank you, Kelly, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Stay tuned for next time. Thanks, everyone.